The Olympics are underway. Cowboys training camp is underway. The Mavericks, Rangers, Stars, FC Dallas, all in the news. UT and Oklahoma football is in the news. We talk about all of that with Dallas media legend Mike Reiner, who talks about good old days syndrome and how the big keep getting bigger. Then we talk with Chris Ivey of Heritage Sports Auctions about the upcoming Roger Staubach, Drew Pearson, Hail Mary NFT. Get your checkbooks ready because the bidding is going to start at 20 large. Chris also tells us the story of finding a bag in Mike Aruzioni's attic with a million dollars worth of stuff in it. And, he, and also the black swamp find. You're not going to want to miss those stories. And finally, we visit with soccer expert Steve Davis about the upcoming CONCACAF Gold Cup quarterfinal matches at AT&T Stadium this weekend, along with World Cup, Olympic soccer, FC Dallas, and much more. We've got a good one for you this time, so let's drop the needle and let's go. Everybody and welcome to the mic drop. Kevin Sullivan here, along with my co-host Monica Paul, the executive director of the Dallas Sports Commission, and our next level intern, Marcus Carr. Thanks for listening and subscribing, Monica. It's episode twenty-three. The Federal Communications Commission has still not stepped in to put a stop to this. <laughs> of course, the number twenty-three makes most people think of Michael Jordan, but not me. Number 23 makes me think of one of his former teammates, Bill Wennington, one of the most popular players in Mavericks history. Of course, we we also are fans of Jose Trevino, who is going to be back in the Rangers lineup soon, we hope. Uh, but we're thinking about Bill Wennington today. And a, but a funny Michael Jordan, Dallas Mavericks uh, little anecdote that I think our first guest, Mike Reiner, will, will, will enjoy because he likes this kind of thing is for all the, the glory of the Jordan years, During that period of time, he did not hold the Chicago Bulls scoring record against the Dallas Mavericks. That distinction was held by none other than the Iceman, George Gervin. Now, a lot of people don't even remember George Gervin playing for the Bulls at the end of his career, but he did, and he once dropped 45 on our Mavericks, and the most Jordan ever scored against us was 43. But let's hear it for Bill Wennington today, who wore number 23 in his Maverick days before going on to win three championships alongside Michael Jordan in Chicago. Monica, we've got to take a moment uh, to acknowledge the sadness of our producer, Krista Melia, her favorite player on the Stars. She used to work for the Stars. Her favorite player was Jason Dickinson. He was traded to Vancouver. Now, it was actually part of Jim Nill, the Stars GM, part of his shrewd pre-expansion draft maneuvering. You know, we had Jim on the mic drop a few weeks ago, we could tell he had a game plan and some strategy heading into the expansion draft. Well, he did, and he got something in exchange for Jason Dickinson instead of just letting the Kraken take him, which they probably would have. And instead, the big rig, Jamie Oleksiak, is off to Seattle. We wish both Jason Dickinson and Jamie Oleksiak all the best. Monica, happy birthday to you. Your birthday was Wednesday, July 21st. That's also my mom's birthday. She turned 98. I made a quick decision to fly to Chicago and attend her birthday party last night. We're all moving kind of slow here on the south side of Chicago uh, after this monster bash last night with my family for my mom's 98th. Rita Sullivan, shout out. Uh, how was your? How did you celebrate? And how are you feeling as we record this today? Well, Sully, funny that you should ask. First off, I'm honored to uh, share a birthday with your mother. Um, uh, I basically had uh, some dinner and, uh, you know, had had a group of friends uh, around and uh, we did maybe stay out a little bit too late. So moving a little slower uh, today, hard to kind of really celebrate, I think, your your birthday uh, in the middle of the week. But um, I'll kind of extend it probably through the weekend and through the through the rest of July. And then actually what I got myself for my birthday is a, a much needed vacation to uh, to Mexico in August. So that's kind of how I ended up selling. Well, even if you're, even if you're moving a little slowly, Monica Paul at, you know, half speed is <laughs> higher RPMs than the average person at full on full, full tilt. So, we'll, so we'll take it. We also saw this week, uh, our favorite local golfer, Jordan Spieth was a runner up at the 
Open Championship, which we used to call the British Open, but now to sound sophisticated and intellectually, you got to call it the Open Championship. Colin Morikawa uh, with the victory. He's on the U.S. Olympic team. Of course, the Olympics start. We're going to talk to Ryan's about that, too. Interesting little tidbit about Colin Morikawa. He will be, because he's going to be on the Ryder Cup team in September, he's going to be the first Ryder Cup rookie to have won two majors since Andy North way back in 1985, thanks to the great Doug Ferguson of the AP for that tidbit. Fourth time Jordan Spieth has been runner-up in a major, so think about uh, looks like he's getting there in terms of being back to the full height of his powers. And Spieth will, will certainly be on the Ryder Cup team once again. <laughs> Because he's seventh in the standings right now. And if he's in the top six, make it automatically. But he will be one of Captain Steve Stricker's picks almost assuredly if Speed doesn't make the top six. Monica, what's happening at the Sports Commission these days? Uh, well, we're still in the midst of CONCACAF Gold Cup. Uh, had a very, very exciting Mexico-El Salvador game uh, last weekend over at Cotton Bowl. Uh, this weekend, we've got the quarterfinals over at AT&T Stadium. So we actually have Canada, Costa Rica, USA versus uh, uh, Jamaica. So uh, exciting to, to kind of end our streak of the CONCACAF Gold Cup, but, but see how successful it's been here. Uh, and, you know, really look at uh, what the future holds for our, our World Cup bid. Uh, we'll have another big announcement coming on Monday uh, uh, about an, another event coming to, to Cotton Bowl Stadium. Uh, should be exciting, uh, a, a big crowd pleaser, hopefully. Uh, we received word that uh, we're about to start the process for another NCAA Men's Final Four bid for 2027 to 2031. So uh, a lot of work upcoming uh, with a lot of our partners here and uh, then looking into, you know, what other opportunities and how soon maybe uh, that we could bring another uh, CFP National Championship back to the North Texas area. So uh, it seems like... Now that, uh, you know, we're a little bit past, uh, I won't say all the way through the pandemic, but uh, that events are coming back and, and fans are, are, are attending events that uh, some of these major events are looking a little bit long, longer term uh, and trying to s- secure location. So well, I think we have our, our work cut out for us. As always, and, and it's always humming at the Sports Commission. So best of luck with all of that, that planning. Of course, uh, Cowboys training camp is underway. The Olympics are getting underway in Tokyo. Uh, Laura Harris of NBC5, friend of the pod and former guest of ours. Everybody keep an eye on her feed and what she's doing because Laura's going to be bringing the stories of the Texas Olympians and Dallas-Fort Worth Olympians uh, to Channel 5 on a regular basis throughout the Tokyo Games. And Monica, you got a bunch of your fellow Longhorns uh, competing in Tokyo. Yeah, Sully, uh, Longhorn's making a lot of news these days, uh, but uh, we'll get to that uh, here a little bit later. But uh, in terms of those at the Olympics, we've got 26 current and former Longhorns there, matching an all-time high, swimming and diving, track and field, men's and women's hoops, volleyball, and pitcher Kat Osterman uh, with softball back on the Olympic program, coming out of retirement to have been that uh, disappointing USA softball loss to Japan in, in 2008. So um, I, one of my former uh, interns is there playing on the on the vo- women's volleyball team. So really hoping uh, uh, best of luck to them and that they can uh, you know stay safe, COVID-free, and uh, nothing happens there, and they can compete at their best. Go Team USA. So everybody be watching, and we'll be back in a moment to talk about all of this with the great Mike Reiner. First, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Powerhands is a global athletic training and rehabilitation product tech company that enhances human performance through the designs, innovative technology. If you are a coach, athlete, fitness enthusiast, Powerhands is for you. Who doesn't want to improve their overall performance and recovery? Even better, Powerhands is Dallas-based and a portion of every product purchased helps provide athletic and academic programs to youth in underserved communities. Go to powerhands.com and improve your athletic performance today. Now we're happy to welcome Mike Reiner to the mic drop, among the most decorated national sports radio voices of all time, one of the most beloved media members in Dallas-Fort Worth history, a founding force behind the ticket. Ryan's retired from that gig in January of 2020, is now the host of the podcast, Mike Reiner is your dark companion, also part of the vocal media family here, like the mic drop. Ryan's was an episode, episode one mic drop guest back on February 12th. Ryan's, hopefully we're doing a little better at this than we were uh, on episode one, but welcome back to the mic drop. 
Well, first of all, I thought you did great then. You're doing great now. You know no other way, Sully. You know that. But thanks for having me. Glad to well, be back too, with you. You're too kind. We're going to try to hit, kind of quickly hit the big themes here. There's a lot going on in the sports world, including with our local sports interests. Number one, uh, the Olympics underway, opening ceremony tonight as we drop this on Friday, July 23rd. Uh, I know you're a baseball guy. We're going to get to the Rangers in a minute. We've actually got two ex-Rangers on the U.S. Olympic baseball team. Pitcher Nick Martinez and and uh, infielder Todd Frazier, who had a short stint here uh, recently. Well, what are you most looking forward to at this year's Olympics? Um, the spectacle, the uh, grand, the grandeur, I guess, of it all. It's such a big event that you can't help but get caught up in it. And even if you don't know a whole lot about the specifics of it or the guys that are competing or anything like that, it's still the Olympics. It's a worldwide event. It's the biggest event on the planet, sports-wise anyway. And you can't help but get sucked in and get into it. That's what I'm looking forward to. What, uh, what's your favorite summer Olympic sport? We got a bunch of new ones this time, like skateboarding and karate and sport climbing and, and ballroom dancing has not yet made it Ryan's. I know you're looking for that, but what are you, what are you looking for? Um, I don't know. I'm looking forward to some of those new things, but I always like, you know, the other stuff as well. The, the more, uh, I guess, traditional, the track field swimming, all that stuff. You know, I, like I say, I really don't keep up with that stuff as a matter of course, but when the Olympics come, come around, you can't help but get sucked into it and you find guys that you want to root for. No, that, that, that's for sure. Uh, other big news story this week, name, image, likeness. Alabama coach Nick Saban uh, announcing at a convention of Texas high school football coaches that Alabama quarterback Bryce Young, who has yet to start a game for the Crimson Tide, has already racked up nearly a million dollars in endorsements related to the new rules around college athletes being able to cash in on their name, image, and likeness. What impact is this going to have on college, college sports, college football in particular? Massive. And I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty skeptical of all this. I don't think that this is terribly good, but who knows? It might be. Like I say, it's such a foreign concept and the, such a, a, radical departure from the way things have always been in college sports that I don't think people have really gotten their heads around the reality of it yet and how exactly how it's going to work and everything. But I don't know. It just seems like the cow is now out of the barn and if they were decided they needed to get him back in, good luck with all that. Yeah. It's it's tough to make the case that uh, an athlete should not be able to profit to benefit from their own name, image, and likeness with so much money is being made. You talked about this on a recent edition of Your Dark Companion. I think it was one of your uh, interviews with Tim Cato of The Athletic, where you talked about this being the era of athlete empowerment. Yes. Uh, Is this a good thing for, for us as sports fans? It's a different thing for us. I don't know if it's good or bad or exactly what to make of it yet. I just know that for guys like me, for sure, and very likely you as well, who have come up with things being a certain way, now they're going to be a completely different way, and we'll just have to see how that goes and somehow get our head around it. You know, Rick Sun in his heyday, one of the all-time great guys when he was the Mavericks GM through the 80s and into the 90s, he used to say then that the NBA was a player's league, always has been, always will be. And yet it has gone exponentially from there where players are now, you know, forcing trades more than ever and, and that sort of thing. We see it with Aaron Rodgers and this sort of drama that's unfolding in Green Bay. Uh, does it take some of the fun out of it for you when you see this kind of stuff happening? Um, I don't know yet I, because we haven't seen enough of this to really get our head around it. I'm kind of an old school guy. I'm one of those guys who likes things the way I've always known them. And the way I've always known them was players played, administrators administrated, coaches coached, everybody stayed in their lane. It's all about stay in your lane, bro. As a great man once told us. And, and I'm 
kind of that way, but um, I, 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 obviously I'm going to have to get my head around it like everybody else. So, okay, we'll see how it goes. But as far as good, bad, whatever, I don't know yet, man. So, Mike, definitely something that caught my interest yesterday, or, or actually one of my staff members came into the office and he's like, you're never going to believe this, but UT in Oklahoma, rumors of they've reached out to the SEC. And I'm like, say it's not so. This uh, absolutely, this got to be a joke, you know. Uh, I'm like, okay, you're trying to play a joke on my birthday or something. But uh, it seems like that may be the, the case of uh, seeing what the possibilities there. What do you think about that? Well, it's only a matter of time. When it comes to college sports, especially college football, it seems like the big get bigger. And they're all about getting bigger. And if a little is good, more is better. And too much ain't enough. And I, I can't say I'm totally shocked by this. But I kind of still have a place right in here for the old Southwest Conference days. And this is going to take us just a little bit further away from that. I know that's good old days syndrome, but um, so be it. Well, we just uh, had Bill Hancock on talk uh, CFP expansion a few weeks ago as well. It looks like uh, inevitable that uh, we'll be going to 12. I know they're doing a lot of research uh, and look to try to make a decision later on in the in the fall. Uh, Rose Bowl would, you know, absolutely have to be moved or willing to move uh, off of their date. Uh, how do you see this uh, unfolding here? And maybe even the benefits, um, if any, for our North Texas region. Um, well, yeah, there are benefits and or possibilities of benefits abounding for the North Texas region because if this thing turns into a big multi-venue tournament, well, it just so happens that we have a number of pretty workable venues here in in our Fairburg. So it could work out quite well for North Texas, but I don't know. I always thought and really wanted some kind of football tournament similar to the, um, you know, the NCAA basketball tournament. I would like to see that. I would like to see a national champion decided on the field and only on the field. And I would like to get into a situation where, you know, if, a team gets hot there at the end and is able to stay healthy and gets some breaks matchup wise, then they can take advantage of it to the fullest. And right now you can't do that in college football. Yeah. Very good points there. So uh, obviously it's, it's football season uh, coming up. Uh, Cowboys training camp is underway. Uh, you know, the top question on everybody's mind is how will the uh, Cowboys do? Are they a playoff team? Uh, are we going to the Super Bowl again, you know, this year? Uh, what are your thoughts there, Mike, on how our Cowboys will do? Well, I watched the the opening day press conference out at training camp yesterday, which is always one of the real highlights of Cowboys training camp every year. And all they were talking about was Super Bowl this, Super Bowl that. And I'm sitting there thinking, how long has it been since this thing got within spitting distance of the Super Bowl. And here they are talking about it like it's kind of a, a given that they're going to be in play for it this year. They haven't been in play for it in years. And yet here they are. The Cowboys know, they know nothing about taking things one step at a time and maybe um, incremental improvement. They, they know nothing about that. It's all or nothing at all. And I guess, that's to be admired on one hand, but it's not dealing with reality, I don't think. We'll, we'll see if, if it's reality or, or, or not. One reality is the Rangers have been, you know, struggling, let's say. Uh, we keep it positive here on the mic drop. You're somebody who loves baseball. Mike, give us a bright spot. What's a reason for hope uh, for what you're seeing out at Globe Life Field uh, so far this season? They have found think possibly a couple of guys who may be players for them when they're good again. Everybody loves Adolis Garcia. There is very little not to like with him. It's easy to look at him and think, okay, well, all this guy does is hit home runs and he doesn't do much of anything else. And that is patently not true. This guy is an athlete. He's got size, but he is an athlete. He is an excellent defensive player, or at least a, a, a better-than-average defensive player, I think, from what I can tell. Um, he moves well. 
and he's definitely going to be a part of this thing down the road, I think. That's what you do in the place they're in right now. You look for guys like that. Now, are there others? I don't know. Everybody thought Isaiah Kiner Falefa might be one, but he's had his ups and downs this year. Um, pitching wise, it's it's been just a big grab bag of guys you don't know anything about. You run them in there and hope they give you something on a given night. Some of them actually do, but then the next time you see them, they get lit up. It's a very, very tough place the thing is in right now. And what's making it worse is the way the first half ended up, you know, heading into the all-star break for them where they got shut in. They were shut out three times in a row by a total margin in those games of 23 to nothing. You have to go back to the Brooklyn Superbas of 1906, I think, to find the last time somebody did that. Not the Brooklyn Dodgers, Sully. The Superbas. You have to go all the way back to them for the last time. Yeah, I I, uh, I saw that note, and I had to admit to myself, I had never heard of the Superbas, and I thought I had heard of all of the old old-time uh, teams like the Cleveland Spiders and, and all of that kind of stuff from, from back before uh, – you know, the, the, the current period, but uh, yeah, it, but there, there is hope and Chris Young, we trust. Uh, and of course, John Daniels, I think Chris Woodward is a good manager. And so let's keep, keep the faith. And I know they'll stick with the plan and hopefully, uh, you know, Jack Leiter is a lot to be excited about as the, as the, uh, as the, as the recent uh, number two overall pick out of Vanderbilt. So let's hope he, he gets here. Uh, I know pitchers that uh, pitchers can't be rushed, but hopefully he gets here here soon. Uh, one other recent development, Mike, was the the announcement of Jason Kidd and Nico Harrison, which I know you watched with great interest. I was impressed with Nico Harrison at his introductory news conference. Uh, he seemed like a guy with a vision and a plan, and he seemed like a very bright. We know he's a relationship guy. Seemed like a smart guy. What were what were your takeaways from the Kidd Harrison uh, introductory press conference? I was impressed with him too. He seems like a sharp guy. And, you know, the big, um, the, what that move is all about is the fact that he knows everybody. This gets back to what we were talking about a little earlier about player movement and players getting to where they want to be and playing with the guys that they want to play with. And the way that by hook or crook, those things seem to get done these days. And if he can attract free agents around here, he will be the first guy we've ever had who could do that because free agents in the NBA and in major league baseball, they just don't like coming here in hockey football, different story for whatever reason. But I mean, you were around when the Mavericks were supposedly in on every free agent back in the day. And, and most of them maybe took a courtesy meeting, but were had no real interest in coming here, it seemed. And the same thing holds true in baseball. Now, with Jason Kidd as head coach, I just wonder this. And this is the big problem I have with the Cowboys these days, too. These games are games of detail. And frequently, these relationship guys and guys to whom playing the game came very easy and very naturally, they don't get into the detail of the game too much because they never had to. The game came so easy to them that things that other guys really needed to drill down on and had to drill down on, they didn't. So it's easy for them to overlook things. Like I say, I think that's going on with the Cowboys right now too. I've never seen a football team pay any less attention to the detail than the Cowboys of last year. And it was just awful to watch. But that's the thing I wonder about Jason Kidd as head coach. Can he really drill down on what needs to be drilled down on, drilled down on and do it himself? You know, don't hand it off to one of the assistants or anything like that. Players need to see that you're watching and you know about this stuff and you're going to be looking for it and, and that they have you to answer to in this, I think. And I'm worried about that aspect of it. He, he was fairly convincing that he learned a lot as Frank Vogel's top assistant on a Lakers championship team. So let's hope that, uh, that he, 
he, he could pick up and implement some of those details. Uh, but I, I thought he handled himself very well. Jason Kidd did, and Nico was impressive. So uh, there, hope hope always springs eternal for all of our all of our teams as the Mavericks are at a crossroads, hopefully headed in the right direction. The Cowboys getting rolling, as you said, with some big talk about the Super Bowl. Let's let's uh, let's watch it all unfold in the Rangers building and the Stars. Uh, there's always hope. It's the great thing about sports, right? That's it. That's why we watch. Because you just don't know. Even when you think you do, you just don't. And the sooner you learn that, the better off you'll be. Well, Ryan, the, the, always great to have the old gray wolf on the mic drop. Uh, thanks for coming back on. Uh, our next guest is, is Chris Ivey from Heritage Auctions. We're going to talk about a non-fungible token commemorating the Hail Mary. Uh, could you imagine paying 20 grand or starting the, the bidding starting at 20 grand for a non-fungible token and NFT with Drew Pearson. And uh, if, if name, image, and likeness is out there, this this is really out there. Yeah, that's a little bit out of my league, but who knows? There's somebody out there who will be all over this. All right. Well, thanks for being here, Ryan. And now over to Rachel. Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. Thanks, Rachel. And we're now pleased to be joined by Chris Ivey, Director of Sports Auctions at Heritage Auctions. This is the third largest auction house in the country based right here in Dallas. Chris uh, began there in, in 2000 after serving as a professional sports card grader, driving force behind the inception of the sports auction division back in 2003. Under his leadership, Heritage Sports has grown significantly each year to become the largest sports auction house in the world with over $50 million in annual sales. That's a big deal. Chris has orchestrated the auction auctions of some of the most important athlete collections in the industry, including, get, get this list of names here, the collections of Lou Gehrig, Jim Thorpe, James Naismith, Mike Ruzioni, Sam Sneed, Stan the Man Musial, Brooks Robinson, who played in the first game I ever attended it on August 26, 1965 at Comiskey Park, and many more. Uh, really a pleasure, Chris, to have you here to talk about some exciting news with uh, with Heritage. Well, thanks for having me. Hey, Chris. Uh, all right, NFTs, uh, you know, big news about the Staubach, Pearson, Hail Mary, NFT. Explain to our listeners what an NFT is, how this came to be, um, and why it matters. Well, if you've been watching news sometime in the last 12 months, I'm sure the, the NFT has come across. I mean, it's it's been very popular. But I'll tell you, you know, I didn't know what an NFT was much before that. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's really come on the scene uh, strongly. But uh, NFT stands for non-fungible token, and uh, it is a new type of collectible. Uh, there's been some that are sold in the art world. We've sold NBA Top Shots, um, for example, and these are um, blockchain technology. So each one is a unique uh, you know, uh, item that you are purchasing and it's all digital and they're digital collectibles essentially. And this one is a digital collectible um, from a company called Ellipsis that's working together with Roger Staubach and Drew Pearson to create the original uh, 1975 Hail Mary. Um, so it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a really interesting item, a cool piece. We're glad to be working with them to offer it in our upcoming auction. Opening bid, $20,000. Uh, how much do you predict it may sell for? Um, $20,000, really? Yeah, these <laughs> NFTs are extremely popular. Our estimate for it is 80000 plus, so it's opening up at 20000 when the auction launches this weekend. And uh, it's going to be open for bidding online at ha.com. And it's going to close on um, Saturday, August 21st as part of our Platinum Night Sports Auction. Okay, guys, listeners, get out there. Uh, um, you, you heard the numbers there. Um, Chris, do you think these NFTs are, are kind of the future of collectibles? Is that kind of the, the direction this is going? They certainly seem to be. I mean, they're very new. Um, you know, they've, they've, they've really gained a lot of popularity in the, in the last year. Um, 
but you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of different avenues that collectors can go into uh, whatever their interest is. And if this is just something else that, um, you know, that new collectors find that is interesting to them and brings them into sports collectibles as a whole, and they can start learning about the market and maybe collecting other things. It's, it's like any other new, new piece, but I, I think it's interesting because these are limited. They have blockchain technology, so they make them all unique. And, um, and this is going to be the only one it's a one of one. And, uh, and not only is it the NFT that you're getting as for bidding on this particular Hail Mary NFT, but I think it's really interesting because it also includes a fan experience. Uh, the winning bidder will get to uh, meet up with Roger and Drew and actually recreate uh, the Hail Mary play and wow. catch a pass from, from Hall of Famer Roger Staubach. Um, so I think it'll be a lot of fun. And they'll also, they're including a signed football with it as well, where they're, uh, um, you know, um, uh, drawing the, uh, the actual play, uh, the Hail Mary play on that football. So that's a one of a kind piece as well as so you got the one of a kind experience, the one of a kind football and the one of a kind NFT to go along with it. It'll be a lot of fun. Well, let, let's say, Chris, I borrow money from Mike Reiner to, to get in on this. And we and I get up to that eighty thousand plus range, and I get this thing. What actually do I do? I take home. What I, I understand there's a monitor involved. Uh, like, what do I? What do I? How do I use this? What do I get? So yeah, there is a, a monitor that comes with it. A monitor is going to be signed by uh, Roger Staubach and Drew Pearson, um, and so you can mount that up and and just use it as a. I think a lot. You know, I mean. These are NFTs are being purchased as collectibles are also being purchased as art. Um, and so this is something that can be displayed in your home. Um, and, and I think that's I think there's going to be new uses for it as technology uh, advances, as we start using Google Glass and those type of things. When you walk into someone's home and you're on their Wi-Fi, I think you'll be able to see their digital art. Um, so I think things are kind of moving in that direction. We're very in the very early stages, but uh, people are really enjoying um starting to collect these nfts and participating in them and and we'll see how this uh, how this plays out but the, you know in addition to that monitor like i said you get the fan experience which is you know i mean meeting meeting uh meeting roger staubach and drew pearson and being able to recreate the hell mary is pretty darn cool and uh and then assigned football as well so i think it would all make a great display for whoever the winning bidder is but uh, you know we've got the Olympics uh, starting, and we're talking about that on this week's uh, episode of the Mike Drop. You did the Jim Thorpe collection. Uh, what what are Olympic collectibles? Uh, you know, a thing, or or is it really just stars and celebrities that drive auctions around around sports collectibles? So Olympic collectibles are absolutely a big, you know, a strong part of the market. I mean, it, it, you know, they've been around since the, the, you know, the turn of the century. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, historically great Olympic athletes, obviously, uh, from Muhammad Ali to, um, to, you know, the Miracle on Ice. We actually worked with the Miracle on Ice team captain, Mike Ruzioni to sell his collection in 2014. Uh, it was a lot of fun meeting him and working with him. You know, the interesting thing about that is, um, you know, going to his house, a lot of these athletes, they have collections and they don't, this is just tools of the trade for them. They don't, they don't realize that there's a, there's a secondary market value for this stuff. So, you know, Mike Ruzioni called us and he says, um, you know, Hey, I've got this, this hockey stuff. And, and, you know, I think I might want to see what kind of value it has. We went to his house. He had it up in the attic. He just pulls down this bag with his just just as he brought it home in 1980 with with his jerseys and with sticks and and we said Mike, you've got over a million dollars worth of material here just bunched up in your attic. I mean you you need to make sure this is properly insured. So that's something we work with athletes all the time just to give them proper valuations of the value of the material that they are holding and make sure that uh, that you know they don't necessarily need to sell it, but they need to have it uh, insured properly. And so yeah, that's uh, you know uh, a lot of fun and a good part of the job. You know, our mutual friend, uh, Robert Wolanski, of course, is your colleague now at Heritage. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to him about this. What is the, what is the, you know, there's so many rare and just incredible items that come through your, your, your doors there at Heritage. Give us an, an example of something that you've held in your hands and you said to yourself, I can't believe I'm holding this in my hands. Um, I think the top, uh, the top piece for me uh, was Jackie Robinson's jersey from 1947 um wow. this is the jersey that was on his back during jackie robinson day so it was later in the season when they were heading to the 
um, to the playoffs. But, um, you know, that that's one that came through about four years ago. Just, you know, not only is that a piece of sports history, but it's, it crosses over into pop, you know, American history. I mean, it's a piece that, you'd, you know, be, be at home in the Smithsonian, right? Um, so that's a very, very neat one. And then one just recently that we sold in, uh, in our last auction was uh, Michael Jordan's uh, North Carolina basketball jersey the only uh it, it was photo matched to him on the cover of um uh, as a player of the year in the ncaa uh and the cover of uh of the national uh, sports magazine and um yeah great piece that's ended up selling for 1.3 million incredible we, we had jason howarth of panini on the on the program uh a while back and an, another dallas-based company yeah uh and we talked a lot about the incredible value of of, uh, of of cards now. That was kind of a resurgence in during the pandemic. Where does sports cards stand on the on, in terms of heritage and on the auctions front? In terms of collectibles, are they are they? You see that trend continuing to go up? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially what we've seen. I mean. Um, sports cards are a, a majority of the sports collectibles market. Uh, that's how a lot of people, um, you know, get into collecting as kids. Um, so I think that's the, you know, that that's the avenue that a lot of people understand uh, sports collecting. Uh, Panini is a big part of that. Um, they're putting out great products uh, now and, and um, generating a lot of interest. There's a lot of value there uh, in the current modern card market. But we, we deal in both modern cards and vintage cards. So we're handling Honus Wagner cards, Mickey Mantle rookies, Babe Ruth, all that fun stuff. And then on up to, to Luka Doncic and, uh, and, and Michael Jordan and uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. and you name it. Security on this stuff just has to be. I know you're not going to tell us your security plan, but the, the you, you, that's got to be a huge part of this, right? Absolutely. I mean, we work with clients from around the world, and they send us their 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 you know their prized possessions and their value material. So you know, it's our job to uh, to keep to to uh, be great custodians of it. Uh, to image it and describe it accurately and keep it safe while it's here and then and then ship it to the winning bidder and, and make sure it's all safe uh, every step of the way. So uh, it is a very important part of, of what we do. So Chris, I see something over there on a the shelf that really has piqued my interest back there. I, I, <laughs> I see a, a big Longhorn uh, uh, helmet back there. Whose helmet is that? That's actually Jamal Charles's helmet that he wore in the uh, Rose Bowl 2006 National Championship. Oh game. boy! Okay, <laughs> nice one, I, nice I, one. I went to I went to UT Austin, um, yep. so that's uh, I, I do collect uh, Longhorns material. Um, yeah, and I've got Ricky Williams' helmet that's a little bit out of shot over here. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, uh, I'm a fellow Longhorn, uh, so uh, oh, as well. So hook them, hook them exactly. <laughs> My, so I'm I'm going to ask you the question we we asked this earlier. What uh, what is your um, thoughts on this uh, Longhorn uh, Sooner uh, SEC discussion? I don't know. Uh, you know, it's an interesting one. I didn't like the sounds of it when I first heard it. Um, be, be based on the, the college football playoff that's coming up and the expansion to eight teams, I thought it would be wise to stay in the Big 12 and have a, a, a strong shot at making the playoffs mm -hmm. every year. But as I've heard, you know, thought about it more and read more articles on it. It does seem um, like it would make sense. This also could be a ploy uh, for negotiations for the Big 12's next television contract. So there's a lot of things that be, could be going on. But from what I'm hearing, it does sound like they're they're a little bit down the road, and and that it is something that uh, more likely than not is going to happen. So um, I'm just still wrapping my brain around it a little bit. But um, I, you know, I I, I trust that our uh, our um, athletic department will make the best choices for us. Yeah, exactly. I, I had to get a get your perspective since uh, since finding out you're a Longhorn, and I was I have to say I was a little bit shocked uh, myself when uh, they came into my office. I'm like, this can't be that you can't be true. Uh, this got to be a right. joke. Um, so it it seems uh, you've been at Heritage since since 2000, and you were the driving force of the sports auction uh, division. Can you give me an idea of like how did you come up with it? What were some of the thoughts of uh, being able to create that? Yeah, I, I grew up collecting uh, sports cards and, and collectibles. I just love this as a hobby. Um, I went down to UT Austin, as I said, and uh, I was going to go to law school after that. And, uh, and this opportunity came up to work as a professional sports card grader. Um, so I jumped on that and then ended up you know, coming to Heritage in 2000, 
using their capital to buy, uh, you know, to buy and sell. And, and, and I think that auctions were the next uh, logical step to that process. Um, it was a very crowded market. There had been a lot of well-established sports auctioneers that, um, you know, that had been uh, doing it for uh, 10 plus years at the time. Um, but with the infrastructure of heritage behind me and, and um, you know, the confidence I had in what we would be able to do, uh, we, you know, we started off our first year in 2004, we did 2 million in sales. We've grown 20% at least every year uh, beyond that to, uh, we did over 100 million in auctions last year. So, the, uh, and then we are on pace to, uh, to surpass that significantly this year. And a lot of that's due to the resurgence in sports collectibles over the past 18 months since the pandemic started. Uh, the market has just uh, grown in leaps and bounds, a lot of new interest and, uh, and new participants. And so we're on pace to hit over 200 million in sports auction sales this year, uh, which is very exciting. And I'm glad to see there's a lot, a lot of new people getting involved in, in sports collectibles and seeing it as a viable um, investment alternative asset. And, uh, and so, yeah, we're seeing not only collectors, but investors getting involved in the market as well. Chris, we, we've got, I'm sure, listeners who've got their old baseball cards, you know, in the attic and in the basement and that sort of thing. Back in 2012, you were involved in the Black Swamp Find. Tell our listeners, it's the coolest sounding thing we've probably ever had on the mic drop. Uh, tell us what that was and why it was so lucrative. This is an interesting story. You know, there, there was a family up in Ohio and uh, one of their uh, one of their family members had passed away and, and they were a bit of a, um, a pack rat, uh, to say the least. So, you know, the, the, the family was going through the home and it had taken them you know weeks to kind of. So they were in this mood of, of you know, keep or throw away, keep or throw away. And then and so they got up to the attic and they moved this dollhouse and they find this old box of cards and they look at it. And, uh, you know, they see some names in there, but they don't look like, you know, they picture regular baseball cards, like the old tops cards, right? You know, the, the, the size, but these were thinner and smaller. And, uh, and they were like, they put them in the throwaway pile. And then the brother looked at him and he found a Ty Cobb card. And he goes, oh, I've heard of Ty Cobb. Like, let's do a little bit more research on this. And thank goodness they decided to do that because they were very close to throwing away about three and a half million dollars worth of baseball cards. And they would have never wow. known it. So they, uh, they took some pictures and they, uh, they, they, they contacted someone locally and that gentleman contacted us with the images. And we initially thought these cards, they were from, they were produced in, um, in 1910 and they were E98, they're, they're candy cards. So they would, uh, these are cards that would be sold to candy dealers to, to include with their candy and help, you know, uh, you know, draw the interest of children. And, and this was, uh, there were over 800 of them in this box and they had never been touched. They were still in the original twine that they were tied up with at the factory. And so when they sent us images of them, we thought, well, there's, there's no way these cards are over a hundred years old. I mean, these conditions are perfect. They look like they were printed yesterday, perfectly sharp corners. Um, so we hopped on the next plane up to Ohio to uh, to meet with them and were able to work with them to sell their collection over the next several years and uh, and ended up uh, generating uh, over three and a half million dollars for them for the collection. It was a lot of fun working with them and and that set included the likes of Ty Cobb, uh, Honus Wagner, Cy Young, uh, some of the greatest uh, names in the history of the game. So it was a lot of fun promoting that and working with them to sell it on their behalf. And how did it get the name the Black Swamp Find? <laughs> well, the family, um, you know, didn't want to be named directly. And so we try to come up with a name that's indicative that, um, you know, of, of maybe, um, you know, something uh, that they're from. So that area of, of Ohio was known as the Great Black Swamp. And okay. so uh, that's how we decided on that name, which is a uh, which is a catchy name. <laughs> Sally, after hearing this, I think uh, I know I have a box of baseball cards uh, sitting somewhere. Uh, I'm sure you do too, Sully. I think we need to collect them and go ahead and send them over to Chris's office and see, uh, you know, we might be able to retire from the mic drop uh, here and, you know, turn that over. So I think we need to really look into that. Well, Chris, let's, let's do it. Yeah. Chris, thank you for joining us on the mic drop. Uh, it's great. Uh, I, I learned a lot to uh, NFTs and uh, uh, about heritage auctions. So uh, thank you for joining us. Likewise. Yeah. Thank you for having me. All right. And now from Rachel. 
Looking to get out of the house in a safe way? Try having a relaxing weekend at the spa or a fun family staycation for spring break. The Omni Dallas Hotel is right in the heart of downtown, within walking distance to some of the area's best restaurants and unique shopping. The Uptown Terrace Infinity Pool is a family-friendly retreat during the day and a great place to watch a romantic sunset over the Dallas skyline at night. Go to omnihotels.com slash Dallas for the best offers and plan your post-quarantine staycation today. Because why? Big wins happen here. Thanks, Rach. We're now pleased to be joined by Steve Davis, the longtime Dallas Morning News soccer reporter, current analyst on FC Dallas broadcast on Texas 21, alongside our friends Mark Followell and Gina Miller. All around good guy, Steve Davis is. And Monica, as you begin your conversation with Steve about Gold Cup and all the things that are happening in soccer in our area, I was pleased to learn that Steve is not only a shrewd analyst and, and reporter on soccer, but he has his coaching license. So he really knows what he's doing. Wow. I, I learned, I didn't know that. Uh, Steve, you've been uh, hiding some stuff for us. We could, we could put you to work in certain areas. Hiding in plain sight. I think they call it. <laughs> it's out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love doing. I love doing the coaching part too. It's uh, it, it all fits together in a life of soccer that I'm just been fabulously blessed to have. Well, uh, I I know you've done. Uh, we've worked with you on a few things, uh, all soccer related, and uh, you've been a big supporter of our quest to get the World Cup in 2026. Um, just you know, we've had Concacaf Gold Cup here in the market. We're going to end uh, end with the quarterfinals this weekend over at AT and T Stadium. Um, what do you, what do you think we'll see in those quarterfinal matches? In the quarterfinal, quarterfinal matches, I think we're going to see, uh, more good soccer. There've been surprises in the tournament. Um, look, it's all sort of headed toward a, uh, uh, Mexico and U S, uh, clash at some point, but, um, uh, CONCACAF, these CONCACAF tournaments have a way of giving us little surprises along the way. So nothing is guaranteed there. Um, just looking forward to seeing uh, another good round of games. I'm just excited that uh, uh, so many of them are not only in Dallas, but in Texas. Big, big uh, Texas-centric tournament, hasn't it been? Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, this uh, COVID gave uh, both uh, Dallas, Austin, and Houston an opportunity to really hone in on on soccer. And uh, I mean, I think the majority of the matches are actually here in Texas. So yes. for us, it's been a, a great opportunity to showcase three of our stadiums and then uh, a lot of our training venues as well for our World Cup bid and really kind of test some things out. Uh, this CONCACAF Gold Cup, how it was kind of laid out in group stage matches, the number of matches that we've been hosting here. Um, really, and especially last weekend with that Mexico-El Salvador game, really felt like uh, it was a World Cup match. So, um, Steve, get a, give us your thoughts on, you know, should Dallas be hosting a World Cup in 2026? Or, or are we in a good position? Or are there things that we may need to work on? Uh, Dallas absolutely should host games in 2026. Um, uh, things to work on, I think that's exactly the value of this uh, of the Gold Cup games being here. Of course, da- Dallas has all kinds of experiences, you all know, hosting these matches uh, from Mexico friendlies to matches back in uh, previous Gold Cups, uh, International Champions Cups. So uh, I, I don't, and Dallas does events very well. So I'm not really sure that it's uh, it's such a matter of um, uh, the, the FIFA and the deciders of this tournament really well know Dallas's history, how well Dallas can put on a game. Of course, AT and T Stadium provides them this 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 great backdrop uh, for this great uh, venue facility for the game. Um, I'll tell you guys something that you, you may not even be aware of. Uh, uh, Monica and Sully is, is, is tied into you as you guys are to the sports, but here's how strong I think Dallas's position is as, uh, as FIFA uh, narrows this list from 17 U.S. cities. Uh, they'll, they'll be picking 11 out of those. Um, back in 2012, it was either 2011 or 2012, when Dallas, uh, when the United States thought they might have a pretty good chance at hosting the 2018 World Cup, um, Sunil Galati, who was then at the top of this tree that uh, of, of organizing officials that uh, from the United States that hoarded, sort of helped set the uh, set the ground for FIFA to then come in and select venues, 
he told me, and Sunil and I have a good relationship, and he told me, Steve, I'm going to recommend Dallas as the final for the 2018 World Cup. And I thought I sort of heard him wrong, and I, and, and I said, well, Sunil, is, isn't that FIFA's decision? And he says, no, well, yes and no. He said, it's my decision, and I love that stadium, and I love that place, and that's where I, I want to put the final in Dallas. Not New York, not L.A. I know that's where people think, but, he, but at the time, uh, New York had completed their stadium, and it just looked like the best venue. Uh, you know, you can put 85,000 people in there. And, and Sunil said, FIFA likes the numbers. They like the fact that, of course, the 1994 World Cup still has the attendance record, but they want a big venue, and they love that stadium. And so I think if Dallas had, if the United States had been awarded the 2018 World Cup, I think the final really might have been right there at AT&T Stadium. So that's how strong Dallas's bid is. Oh, Steve, you're giving me goosebumps over here. Getting, me, getting me all excited for for uh, 2026. So it definitely hosting a final or a semifinal is, is on our list, uh, I think, pretty high up there. I don't know if the final now. I think things have evolved a little bit with uh, – with New York's new stadium coming online, uh, but uh, I think a semifinal is absolutely in the uh, in the uh, a potential for Dallas. Steve, with the Olympic tournament now underway, how panicked should we be that the U.S. women's national team got handled uh, pretty pretty well by Sweden three three nothing? I see Will Ferrell in my head right now, Sully. You know that one? No, nobody freak out here. Nobody yeah, freak yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't need anybody freaking out here. Hey, look, it was uh, the, the problem isn't just that they lost the game. The, the problem was that they were overwhelmed by Sweden. They looked a little, a little old, a little slow. Uh, there's still time. What they have done, though, is just significantly reduce their margin for error. Cannot lose another game in the group stage. Uh, otherwise, they will not advance, and that would be a that would be seen as a pretty big failure for for a program that sets such high standards as U.S. Women's National Team. So that made the path more difficult, but there is still a clear path. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you have to do a little bit better than they did against Sweden the other day. And by the way, uh, at some point, Sweden's going to be out there again. Right now, Sweden looks like a team that sort of has their number based on some you know uh, past results against them. So. Sweden sits out there again with all the confidence of having really overwhelmed the United States in that first match. Now, Steve, uh, FC Dallas, uh, no secret, has struggled a bit this year. We asked Ryan's for a for his bright spot on the Rangers, also building with, with young players. We'll ask you the same question: What's a bright spot that you can point our listeners to when it comes to FC Dallas this season? So you've been in sports long enough, both of you guys have, to know that sometimes fans in the moment don't want to hear things like that, that I'm about to say uh, because they, 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 they want to win. They want to go to the stadium and enjoy a W, you know, or better results at least. But with FC Dallas, uh, some of the wins are always in the academy program that they built. The academy program that they built is far and away the best in Major League Soccer. And what that means is they're developing players. They don't have to go out and buy players. They're developing players from within the academy. Uh, I don't want to give you a bad, uh, some bad numbers here, but I believe that the amount of money they have generated over player sales uh, over the past few years approaches $30 million. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's $30 million uh, worth of checks that have been in the bank, but they have what they call sell-on fees with some of these guys that they've sold into big clubs in Europe, and that means that they sell them. Uh, subsequently that that uh, FC Dallas retains some percentage. It's usually a, a 10 to 20%, something like that, selling maybe as high as 40% in some cases. So point here, and to answer your question, is that they are always developing good young players. They're good young players right now. Paxton Pomichol has uh, just gotten back off injury. He looks great right now. Ricardo Pepe is probably going to be the next player sold into Europe. He's scoring goals lately. Uh, Jesus Ferreira just back off injury. These are all players they have developed through the academy, and as long as you keep developing players through the academy, yes, everybody wants to win in a competitive league, but there's always a win in saying we've developed another player. And, and even fans take a certain pride in saying, hey, look at Brian Reynolds. He's now gone over into an Italian Serie A club. Same with Weston McKinney, uh, an Italian Serie A club. And Richie Cannon is over there. He'll probably move somewhere this summer from his Portuguese team. Chris Richards is property right now, Bayern Munich, one of the biggest clubs in the world. So, so there's a lot of fan, uh, you look for the good note, there's a lot of uh, fan pride in saying FC Dallas developed these players and now they're going literally into the best teams in the world over in Europe. That's your bright note. 
and hopefully the fees that come back one day translate into you know performance on the field and, and more wins sure. other other than that warm feeling that you get from having developed uh, a player in the academy the, right the idea of course is always to reinvest a, a portion of that money hopefully a significant portion of that money back into the academy back into the team yeah i didn't mean to apply it's just it's just a big cash grab it's it's you you take that money you reinvest it you maybe you even go buy uh, young players, they just uh, bought a, a young Hungarian, Sabal Shun, who went over to Europe uh, during the European Championships and actually scored a goal for Hungary. It was called back. Uh, but, you know, uh, even to be on, on worldwide TV, FC Dallas product scores a goal, he boggles into the net, uh, uh, you know, in a, big, in a big game of the European Championships. That means something, even if the flag went up and it was offside. Right. All right, Steve, before we let you go, this is the portion of the program we like to ask our guests, what are you downloading what are you streaming? So what what's on your uh, tablet or laptop or phone these days? Okay, okay, well, first of all, events of last February taught me to always keep a small little stack of old school hardback or paperback books, right? Uh, as I was outside cooking um, you know, my, my, my meals on a fire like an Alaskan survivalist or something. <laughs> uh, so I have a little stack of those uh, going right now as well. Uh, but uh, what am I downloading? I just read a, a great book uh, online. Uh, ebook uh, called No Ordinary Dog. And I'm a big dog guy and I have a, have a German Shepherd and I trade him well, but uh, that's about Cairo. Cairo was the dog that was on the Osama bin Laden raid. And it was, and it was his story. And uh, wow. I just, I just finished. but I'll tell you a funny story about that. I learned about that book and that guy, uh, Will, Will Chesney, I think was his name, um, on the Mic Drop podcast, but not your Mic Drop podcast. <laughs> there's a there's another one out there by a guy named Mike Ritland, who's a former Navy SEAL dog handler. Um, that I, I I get some of my dog handling advice from him, and I, and he kept mentioning Texas, and he's he's nationally known as a dog trainer, right? He kept mentioning Texas, and I was like, look, Texas, it, and I, I figure out he's right outside he's right outside Rockwall, his uh, his whole training center. He he now takes in uh, military service dogs and uh, retired uh, police dogs and uh, rehouses them because uh, he doesn't want them just to get you know, sent out to pasture or something. So anyway, that's a couple of things that, uh, and I got a steady diet, of course, because I'm a soccer nerd. I got a steady diet of soccer podcasts that, uh, that I listen to as well. All right. Well, we have Ted Lasso season two returning uh, this week. Are you a Ted Lasso guy? We've had a number of our guests uh, reference uh, season one of that show. Yeah, yeah. So the funny thing is right now, because FC Dallas season, Cocky Calf Gold Cup, I wore my... One with gold oh, cup nice. shirt for you guys. Um, uh, running, I'm running. I run a nonprofit, some soccer camps down in Pleasant Grove uh, for kids that don't get soccer camps. Man, I have turned off the TV for the for for the summer right now. I will catch up with Ted Lasso with season two. I promise everybody. Everybody's asking me about it. I'm like, guys, I promise. I promise I will catch up. You guys get off my back about Ted Lasso, but I I, I, I will catch up. But for man, right now I've just turned off the except for soccer. There's soccer on TV. If it's not soccer on TV, then the TV ain't on. Well, your 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 buddy Followell was the other one who came on the program and talked about reading actual books. So you guys are are intellectuals. Monica, what are you? Yeah, Monica, what are you downloading? Uh, well, what I downloaded is uh, my YouTube TV and uh, NBC apps. I was able to go in and select all the sports from an Olympic standpoint that I want to make sure are recorded and in the in the save section so that when i get home i can catch up on anything olympic so that, that'll be pretty much on my tv <clears throat> and soccer yeah, I, as well because i'm big into soccer these days so i am right there with you make sure that you, everybody's got the peacock app downloaded and go into your whatever your provider is whether it's a cable or youtube tv or satellite or whatever uh, go in there and set all the Olympics uh, to record. That's what I'm doing. Go ahead, Steve. Especially, especially when our buddy Mark Followell is doing it. Thank you for shouting out, Mark. What a great guy. I'm so proud of him for uh, getting that Olympic assignment as well. Yeah, he is uh, another another Dallas product who has national talent and yeah. is such – he is so talented and so good at whatever he does. And 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 you're right. I'm glad you mentioned that. He'll be doing soccer already underway on yeah. – on, uh, on the networks of NBC. So listen for, uh, for Mark. So Steve, thank you for joining us on behalf of Monica Paul and the Dallas Sports Commission. Thanks also to our other guests, Mike Reiner and Chris Ivey. Thanks to the Mike Drop production team, Chris Amelia, who's still sad about Jason Dickinson going to Vancouver. 
Amanda Larder, Marcus Carr, Olivia Petnicki, the crew at Vocal Media. Thanks for turning the dials and all that stuff, uh, guys. Our showrunner, Tony Fay, who's on an interesting assignment uh, today that maybe we could talk about on a future podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>